Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. I'm on with a former guest of ours, Grant Halloran. He's now at OmniSci. We're going to talk today about elements of a successful product marketing plan. Grant, welcome back to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. Thank you very much, Mike. Great to be here. So before we begin, can you just talk a bit more about, you know, folks probably remember your background at Anaplan and before that, but maybe just give us a refresher and sort of how you got into the, in the SaaS marketing space, you know, the, the enterprise marketing space. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can tell from my accent that I'm uh, an Aussie. Uh, so uh, grew up in Australia, been living out here uh, in the States, in San Francisco for the last uh, seven or eight years. Um, so the beginning of my career was was in banking, so I studied uh, commerce, economics, etc. at university, started out in banking. My brother and I uh, had a what we thought was a smart idea, it turned out to be a smart idea, uh, started our first uh, internet company in 97, so kind of pre the, pre the whole, uh, you know, big revolution that, that happened with the internet. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've been in the software industry ever since. My brother and I built three companies. The last one, uh, we took global. We were acquired by Infor, um, which is, I think, the largest enterprise software company, uh, private enterprise software company in the world. So they acquired us at the end of 2012. Worked with them for a little bit. Um, then I spent a few years over at Anaplan, and uh, I've been over at OmniSide for the last uh, a bit over 12 months. So I think the, uh, the sort of trajectory of my, of my career, I'd describe it as increasingly sophisticated technologies, <laughs> um, all focused on enterprise uh, customers, so, you know, kind of Global 2000, um, big government. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's been great. Uh, from a SaaS perspective, you know, the very first businesses that my brother and I built back back in 97 were always SaaS businesses. We're, we're 100% cloud. So I feel like I've kind of, it's sort of part of my DNA to, to be a cloud and a software as a service guy. Awesome. So, uh, and maybe just catch us up. I mean, OmniSci, you guys have gone through a bit of a rebrand. There's been a lot of uh, recent announcements. Maybe just tell us a bit more about the company and, and what you guys are up to these days. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you mentioned the rebrand. So uh, for the first five years of the company's life, uh, we traded as MapD, um, which actually originally people think it's, a, you know, it's got something to do with mapping, but originally, uh, originally, funnily enough, um, originally MapD came about from from the expression massively parallel database. Uh, founder Todd Mostak. Um, came across the original idea, came upon the original idea for the company when he was at Harvard, and then he went on to be a research fellow at MIT, um, and that's where he basically conceived the original technology. Um, I'll talk about the rebrand in, in a second, but basically, you know, we're, we're basically inventing a new class of analytics that we call extreme analytics, which I think is a bit more than just a buzzword. Um, what we're trying to do is overcome this big problem that uh, a lot of companies and uh, governments are facing where their, their, their traditional systems are just overwhelmed with the amount of data that's coming at them, uh, not only the scale but the velocity of it, uh, the creation of new data. 
And so what that's done is it's made the analytics experience for the analysts and the data scientists really terrible, right? It's too slow, it's too costly, so IT is doing huge amounts of uh, data wrangling and uh, expanding hardware footprints. So we basically build a new generation of software that's designed to run with the newest generation of hardware, which is uh, powered ultimately by GPUs uh, that are built by NVIDIA. Um, so what that enables users to do is query multiple billions of records uh, in milliseconds. So you create this zero latency interactive experience for analysts, and you can literally, with our technology, explore all that data in real time. Like, it's like it's on your desktop and you're working with a small spreadsheet, right? Um, but in fact, you're, you're working with really, really large data sets. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a transformative new technology. Uh, we've been commercial for two years. We decided to rebrand the company to OmniSci, which we think is a, a, a much more befitting name for our longer term vision. And then last week, we just announced our Series C uh, fundraising um, of $55 million. So, uh, yeah, the company's going great and uh, really excited to be here. Awesome. And, what, you know, you've been on the, po the podcast before. I always ask folks what's one thing that people don't know about you, um, but you've already given us that. Uh, we won't reveal it so folks can go back and, and listen to the Anaplan podcast. But maybe to, to mix it up a bit, What's one place that, you know, you, you travel to in your life, the expectation was super low, but you totally loved it and really was excited yeah. uh, coming out of it? <laughs> yeah, this is a great question. Um, so I thought about this. Um, I have to say when I was traveling around the world when I was 19 uh, with a friend of mine, we were, we were backpacking around Europe and America and stuff. Um, we met a bunch of guys in Austria um, a bunch of English guys, and they were from Hull in England. Now, Hull is definitely not on most people's uh, vacation destination list. You know, when we asked these guys, we were like, so what's Hull famous for? And they said, uh, a bridge, right? <laughs> so when we met these guys, they were just these super great guys. We had a lot of fun with them. And um, they said, oh, you got to come, when you come over to England, you got to come and visit us uh, in Hull. So we did that to very, very low expectations about what we're going to get. And we just had a ball there with these guys. They were at Hull University. So we spent, uh, you know, a few days with them. So I would have to say it was Hull in England, which I virtually <laughs> guarantee no one else <laughs> will say. All right, nice, yeah. Um, I'm on the Wikipedia page now. Kingston upon Hull, I guess, is the former That's name it, of it. Yeah. But, yeah. Cool. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, let's jump in. I mean, we're talking about elements of a successful product marketing plan. Maybe just to give some context, you know, you you, you transition into your current role after a pretty successful run with Anaplan. Maybe talk. Can you talk a little bit about customer acquisition strategy there? What made it really effective? Before we really get into the nitty gritty of of product marketing plans and how that works and, and what are the elements. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I think the first thing to understand, you know, a little more strategic, is that Anaplan is, is, is this incredibly versatile platform, right? So you can you can basically model hundreds of different uh, business processes inside um, Anaplan. It's got this incredibly versatile modeling engine and very versatile interface um, where you can. It's, it's like a blank canvas, right? So we're able to address so many different uh, planning, um, business optimization kind of processes uh, 
in virtually any type of company in every department. So we had this really, you know, broad opportunity. So the first step was, you know, figure out, you know, what are the uh, what's the low hanging fruit, right? You know, who, where, where do we really want to uh, focus our, our our efforts from a go to market perspective? And this is this is often something I think you know a lot of startups um, think is kind of well we'll get to this later. But I actually believe this is kind of fundamental. I'll talk about this a little bit more later in the in, the, in our discussion. But our first step was understanding like where do we want to you know point our munitions. Um, you know, what are those audience-specific value propositions? So just a lot of that strategic kind of work where you're figuring out who to sell to, why it matters to them, and, and arming yourself with a lot of that core understanding. Um, once we did that, we were then able to build our entire go-to-market around that. So we could think about, you know, what type of salespeople do we need, where do we need them based on the, the, uh, the, the, the strategic kind of focus that we want, um, what enablement do we need to, to do for those folks? Um, what type of pre-sales people do we need? What do we need to teach them? So a lot of that fundamental stuff. Um, so we did that very well. Um, the second thing I think we did very well, and continue to do, uh, by the way, over at, at Anaplan, I think they're about to IPO tomorrow, so uh, the company's doing great. Um, it's built a really awesome ecosystem of partners with the domain expertise that align to those those priority use cases. Okay. Um, the next thing I, that we, I think we did great was positioning the company. So, you know, we're able to go out to a sales uh, operations leader or a head of revenue and say, hey, we can we can run sales performance management, you know, soup to nuts for you inside Anaplan. Then we could go to the finance department. Then we could go to the supply chain team. And we could have that conversation with each of them. And we realized, you know, our, one of our fundamental value props was the ability to connect all of those things together. So we ended up positioning the company as a connected planning company. That was something that our competitors couldn't do. So whilst they could chip away at us on some of those specific use cases, no one could connect the whole thing together. And we articulated that around the ability to connect people, plans, and data inside inside your whole company, which organizations really struggle with. Um, so you can think about a plan like a central nervous system, right? It just operates. You don't have to think about it. So if something changes in a sales forecast that the chief revenue officer is looking at, we want to be able to immediately, you know, reflect those changes inside the FP&A forecast as well and alert people to that. So that's just a simple example of it. Um, so I think that's uh, that's sort of strategic stuff, fundamental stuff. We were very, very good at ruthless execution <laughs> with our tactical go-to-market. So we were pretty good with integrated marketing, uh, very good sales teams, very, very, very strong pre-sales people. So when we got the opportunity to meet with our prospects, we were we were pretty good at winning. Um, the other thing I would say is that, you know, more strategically, we, we were very focused on creating buzz for the company. And this is something you've mentioned, Michael, before. It's like, you know, you would hear a banner plan all the time. We were very focused on buzz and building reputation. So, you know, we got into six magic quadrants. I think we're the first company with the same technology to ever be in six magic quadrants for, for Gartner. And I would just conclude by saying momentum matters, right? If you create yeah. momentum, 
you've got to you've got to seize it and you've got to exploit it. Do not take your foot off the gas. Just momentum really matters if if you want to create a hyper growth company. So find it and exploit it and double down on it. Sure. What and then I'm just maybe curious. So have you taken all of those strategies now to Omnisci or what? What has anything shifted? What's been you know you've obviously reflected and you. Uh, are kind of now on the, the second tour of duty with this. What, what thought processes and strategies have kind of shifted in your, your current role as Chief Marketing Officer? Yeah, the similarities are that Omnisize a platform. So, again, there's lots of versatility there. Uh, we can solve a variety of, of these big data use cases, but we had to figure out which are the ones where we have what we call an unfair advantage, right? So where can we drive incredible new value for uh, for our customers um, in use cases typically that they've never really been able to expose analytics to before. Uh, and I'll give you an example of that. Um, so within the telecom industry, you know, there's just reams and reams of data that are spinning off these uh, cell phone tower networks, right? You think of Verizon, a big customer of ours, they have billions and billions of records a day of call detail records, data packets, et cetera, going through cell phone towers. There's so much data that they really just couldn't expose, uh, they couldn't really extract any insights from that data in any meaningful time frame. So they would kind of be on this cadence of once a month, maybe once every two months, they would look at how did the network perform in that, in that previous window. And they would see issues. Um, and it was very slow, very monotonous, and they would sort of present these insights to the, to, to the heads of uh, their platform. And, you know, they couldn't really act on it, right? They sort of said, well, okay, it we, we looks like we've got an issue at Tower 67842 in Grand Rapids. And they would send field service people out there and they'd find nothing wrong. So now, if you look at what they do with Omnisite, they literally can harvest all of this data, pour it into their lake, push it across into the Omnisite engine, and literally in real time, all day, operational platform engineers are looking at this data and spotting issues cross-filtering, drilling into things, the zero latency experience, and they can identify, oh, hang on, I've got a spike in the tower here, what's that issue? Um, and they're able to diagnose it immediately and then figure out, oh, it's a rogue device, we don't need to send a field service team, right? So they can improve customer service really quickly and they're able to lower their operational costs. So that's an example just in the telco industry of, of, of bringing whole new greenfield uh, analytics opportunity. So we had to figure out what are all those use cases, firstly. Um, and so we can, we can point ourselves, our marketing and our salespeople at those use cases. Second thing we did was, um, in sort of parallel, was we were previously kind of positioned as a GPU database. And you know, Todd, our founder, and, and I sat down and, and, you know, we talked about this a lot and I said, look, I don't think people are really wanting to buy a new database. And frankly, we're an analytics platform. We've, we've got a much bigger spectrum of analytics offering here. So it might seem trivial, but it's not. If anyone's repositioned a company, it's not trivial. Um, we ended up repositioning as an analytics company, creating the intellectual definition of what extreme analytics is. So that has helped tremendously. And in terms of a metric, our year-over-year win rates have risen 295% since that repositioning. And it's not just because of that, but it's now the shape of our pipeline is the shape we want it to be.
where it's use cases, it's business problems that people want us that, that we can solve for them and that no one else can solve. Um, so I learned a lot at Anaplan about that um, having a broad platform, but being able to be very, very focused on where where you're going to point it from a go-to-market perspective. Um, the other final thing I'd say is that's different though over here is that we work very closely with the developer community. So we have an open source element to our platform. So that's very different, and that and I think I, I might touch on it later. It's a it's, it's very very much a competitive weapon for us having that. Um, so there are some differences in terms of how we the different audiences we engage. There is an element of more technical marketing uh, coupled with this business style marketing uh, here at OmniSite. So anyway, it's uh, it's going great, and um, yeah, I've learned I've learned uh, been able to apply quite a few things from Anaplan, but also had to think through things differently here as well. What do you, and maybe just to key in on the developer piece, and and maybe maybe take it more to your because you've been in chief marketing officer roles for some time now. What do you think has been sort of the biggest change, or what has changed the most in product marketing over the last decade, maybe that you've seen? Yeah, I, I actually may, may even just take it back further. So okay. <laughs> the origins, the ar- yeah, and, and I'll, I will get into the last decade. But the the origins of of product marketing back in the you know seventies and eighties, if you think about it, it's it's there were some technical guys that could communicate, and they would say, "Hey, John, um, you seem to know how to write. Could you write a data sheet on the latest?" You know X Y eighty product that we have. <laughs> right? It was yeah. all it was it was all technical buyers back back yeah. then, right? Business people did not get involved in technology decisions. They were just told we have technology, and honestly, technology wasn't even really part of the front office of the front sort of office of the business. It was all hidden away. So that's that origin, I think, is actually really important for people to reflect on because it started out very technical. And there are still exhausts from that, I think, in Silicon Valley in particular, where people think that product marketing is is still a pretty technical thing, and it's about speeds and feeds and features and functionality. But as you uh, rightly asked this question, what's really evolved in more recent years is that product marketing has become much more um, bifurcated in terms of there's still a technical element, especially if your business, uh, if your technology, if your technology is used by technologists. But there's much more a business aspect to it, right? How does this technology solve a business problem? How do we describe that business problem and credentialize ourselves as as uh, a company that can understand your problem and can solve it? So it's a lot more about use cases, case studies, uh, customer testimonials, all those sorts of good things that a lot of SaaS companies are very, very strong at. Um, here at OmniSide, we have to have both because... You know, we're pretty close to the metal, um, right? So we need to have uh, really good technical product marketing. But equally, it's, you know, over at Verizon, that the example I just gave, you know, it's the platform engineering department that really benefits from the technology, and they're interested in knowing. So I would say that that's where it's evolved the most, is that you need to, to tell business stories as a product marketer today. Um, as, as much as you talk about the functionality. Uh, yeah, so uh, that's one thing. The second thing I would say is that there's a greater emphasis on domain expertise. 
So I think if you're going out and you're looking to hire your 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 product marketing team and build that up, and you're you're a founder, you the vision that you want to have is is a very deep understanding of how much domain um, domain knowledge do we need to be able to project that we really understand their problems. And the field, a lot of the when you're out in the field and you're actually prosecuting a sales opportunity. The sales reps that tended were, ought to be really good with the politics of deals and the relationships. The pre-sales team need to be really good at answering questions about what the functionality can do, but often they're not experts in the domain themselves. So that's where I think you can lend that third kind of dimension um, of credibility is bringing in product marketers to, to sales opportunities where they have very strong and deep domain knowledge um, at Anaplan, we were very, very good at this. Uh, at OmniSide, we're very good at it as well. Getting these folks that are very field-oriented. So it's not just about producing content. You need to be be able to get out there with the field as well and act as that domain expert. Got it. Maybe, uh, maybe let's just go back to – I'd love to just go back into the specifics around um, – some of these elements of a product marketing plan, you know, taking it a little more granular because you probably have so much knowledge. I mean, what what are some of the maybe just, maybe just an easy one? What are some of the pitfalls you see when you're coaching product marketers, you know, at SaaS businesses when it comes to execution around this and a, and a sort of you know successful product product marketing plan? Yeah, yeah. So I think in in terms of um, the function of product marketing, right? Um, you know what, what what the product marketers are doing needs to be integrated, you know, 100% integrated into the company and the marketing strategy, right? So um, there's in, in terms of the cycle of work, you know, the very first thing that, that product marketers need to do is really understand, like, help define those use cases understand why we're going to win, what's the value proposition, um, and then literally produce deliverables that I call core contents. These are internal content pieces. This describe the personas, describe the use cases, describe the problem statement, um, describe how our technology is going to solve that problem for them. Now, that is sort of core content because it then feeds so many more aspects of, of your go-to-market, such as your demand, when your demand generation or demand creation team needs to start producing campaigns, they need to go back to that core material, right? Um, and, and understand it and then talk to the product marketers and really, really embrace an understanding of, of who they're marketing to. Um, the sales enablement teams need to be able to design training programs and content working with the product marketing team um, to enable the field to be able to Credibly and confidently go out and talk about these, these challenges. Um, so, so I think there's a lot of fundamental, uh, strategic kind of work that product marketing, um, needs to do successfully, uh, for the company. I think in terms of pitfalls, like, you know, I, I, this is not all product marketers, but I would say just a few that I've seen that, that folks run into, um, and get themselves caught up a little bit. Product marketers need to see themselves as more than content machines. And, 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 you know, so folks that kind of think that, well, I mean, product marketing, my job is just to respond to everybody and produce content, um, you're missing that strategic element. I, I actually prefer product marketers to think of themselves as the driver, 
um, not the reactionary people that just produce content because the field asked them for it. Um, so try to avoid folks that are, you know, if you're building a team, you need to have some of those guys, but certainly your leadership uh, of that function needs to be much, much more than content machines. Secondly, I think there's, you know, a lot of these folks have come through as individual contributors, right? And stepping into leadership roles, um, you, you know, you, you need they need to reframe themselves. I like product marketers to think strategically and programmatically. What is the content that the organization needs throughout the whole funnel, across the whole funnel, so collaborating with the Debanjin team, the operations team, to figure out, like, we have one content strategy. What are all the things that the product marketing or solutions marketing team needs to produce as part of that? Um, but think about it strategically. Like, you don't have to be the person with the fingers on the keyboard producing everything. There are lots of external writing organizations that you can get huge increased output if you work uh, in a more programmatic fashion. So that's the second pitfall. Try not to do it all yourself. And then the third I would say, I mean, I tapped, uh, tapped it a little bit here, is you want to find folks that are very field-oriented, right? If your product market, a signal of, of underperforming product marketing is where they're just sitting in the office all the time and they're not out in the field or on those calls if you're in an inside sales of a dominated organization. You, 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 know, you want product marketers that are very much out with customers, out with prospects, uh, adding value, but also learning as part of that process. You just can't underestimate the value of that. So there, there, there are a few, uh, few pointers or, you sure. know. And what, um, maybe in the case of OmniSide, how do you, how do you, you know, feel that as one piece here? How do you determine when you're, th- when you're thinking through basically the product marketing plan, how do you determine what channels are best for that marketing distribution and what you see out there today? Or how might you recommend going about, you know, understanding what might work and not? Uh, the first, the first thing, <laughs> okay. It's a very it's wide a, question, I'm sorry. It's a wide <laughs> question. It's a wide question. I would, I would, I would encourage people to think about adopting a methodology firstly, okay. right? So, you know, an example, we use serious decisions methodology. And, I, I think serious decisions is really good. It's, I, I'm not here advocating as to whether they're better than the other methodologies um, out there, but at some point, my team and I had to make a choice, right? And I think that so, so make that choice wisely, but then embrace that methodology. Serious decisions has a very wide and deep uh, methodology, and I like their model in terms of you know being able to help um, not just kind of like here's the methodology, but they also help you execute it. Uh, they give you a lot of good consultancy. Now, the reason that's important is because it gives you a, a framework that everyone can buy into and everyone can understand, and it clarifies all the semantics and the nomenclature of how you're going about doing your marketing. You know, in some companies, a campaign is not the same as a campaign in a different place, right? What's a program? What's a campaign? What's a tactic? You know, what's a channel? Like, all these things need to be defined. So that's my first thing. Find that methodology so that everyone's on the same page. Um, secondly, and this is to be no surprise to you, you know, you've got to experiment a little bit, especially when you're in the earlier part of the life cycle of a company. You know, it's, it's hard to figure out. Um, you have to just do the work, and you've got to try some things. So have a testing and learning kind of approach to it, experiment. Don't just go off and say, hey, I'm going to hide, you know, 200 grand into this particular campaign. 
run a little mini test at 20 to 40K first, right? And then figure out, like, get some data from that and then figure out whether that's, you know, worked and then you can refine it or you can abandon it or you can double down on it, right? Um, so I'm a big believer in testing and learning, uh, Mike, as a, as a first step before you, if you're going into uncharted territory. More broadly, I mean, integrated campaigns, most marketers listening to this podcast will, will understand what an integrated campaign is. Um, I think you just need to figure out, I think that it's less about the channels and it's more about the sequencing. So we all know that you need to have an undercurrent of, um, of you know, reputation-style stuff out there. You need to be having analyst reports written about you. You need to get some press through your PR efforts. Um, social media, I'm a huge believer, believer in social media, right? Creating a bit of a wall of sound, good content out on social media. It's a free distribution channel, right? I mean, it's, it's, I, I love that. Um, but then I think it's, you know, when you're going and doing a specific, say, six or eight week campaign, sequencing the activity is actually more, in my opinion, is more of the challenge than figuring out which channels to, to, to go, uh, to actually use and what tactics to use. Um, so you've got you to think through that thoughtfully. Um, and then once you've, you've been running campaigns, yes, data. I mean, get as much data and please allow yourself enough time to actually do those post-campaign reviews where you'll sit for several hours with, with the whole team and you'll go through what's working. Obviously, you're going to do that throughout the campaign as well because we get a lot of data signals throughout the campaign and we can tweak, et cetera. But once you've finished the whole campaign, you need to, to dedicate enough time for the post-implementation uh, uh, review and make sure that you, you're doing that properly. Otherwise, you just, you know, a lot of folks don't allow enough time. They're just on to the next thing. You never learn and you end up just kind of following the same playbook all the time. So uh, maybe that's... just, yeah, yeah, totally. Maybe, you know, talk to us a bit about, because because you kind of you kind of glanced over this, but you're you're working obviously at a uh, data analytics business. You know what what are some of the maybe just to to inform the the audience. What are some of the newer ways you see that data is getting implemented into that marketing strategy or that product marketing plan these yeah. days? Yeah, so I think that overall, I mean, look, data is everywhere. We we are we can measure virtually everything. Some specific things. We implemented a product called Segment. Um, there are a few other technologies out there uh, in the same vein. Um, you know, we have uh, Segment's an interesting one. So I think there is the rise of the the um, you know this customer data platform, right? Yeah. Which when I earlier on in my my career didn't exist, and we would sit around and going, well, even at Anaplan, we have this really wonderful modeling engine. But it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't designed like a customer data platform and Salesforce and others, you know, um, didn't quite manage this well. Or something like Segment, I think, is really, really interesting and useful, and there are other technologies out there, um, to give us this ability to harvest all of these meaningful data signals um, from virtually everything that's happening. So even with inside our own um, product here, we're looking to implement segment in our cloud our cloud offering so that we can start to understand uh, behavioral signals from our users, not just uh, from a marketing perspective. 
Um, so we get a lot of data. It's everywhere. Um, so the first thing is how do you organize it and make some sense of it? It can actually be a little bit overwhelming. The second challenge, I think, is just figuring out what the, what the level of data is. Like what, what's actionable? Right? What, what insights can you actually act upon? <laughs> you know, it's not just about getting all this data. Um, and, and to me, actionability comes from two things. Is one is how, what level of data are you, are you, you scrutinizing and trying to get insights from, and then secondly, what cadence are you looking at it at it uh, on, right? So is it something that you can actually action this on a weekly basis, monthly basis, quarterly basis? Those are fundamental things that a marketing team has to think through and talk about and decide upon pretty early on um, before you make a decision about what technologies to implement. I mean, just to give you an idea, here in OmniSci, in the last 12 months, my revenue operations team has implemented over 20 tools. 20 tools in 12 months, wow. right? Yeah, I mean, and you know, I know you guys invest a lot in, in MarTech and, and surrounding technology, so you understand it. It's just there's this groundswell of technologies out there, right? So you have to yeah. be careful choosing the right ones, integrating them in such a way that you're getting some meaningful information. But as a CMO, I find... You know, I go to some meetings and just the, the level or the altitude of, of the data is either too high or too low. So we, it's a constant kind of discussion about, you know, that's, I can't action that or, you know, this is the, the, the period in which this data is coming from is not enough or it's too much, whatever. Right. So you got that, that, that's a sort of more of a something I can't advise people on because it would be specific to each business. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, it's, there's no shortage of technologies out there, and I think it it kind of leads into some of the misconceptions, um, you know, which you and I have talked about uh, in discussing today. So, do you want me to talk about some of these <laughs> misconceptions? Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, I mean, the, the, now these misconceptions, I think, are, I was as I was thinking about this. Misconceptions from outside of marketing. I think anyone that's got experience inside B2B SaaS marketing are not, you know, this is, I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to people outside of it. Firstly, it's really operationally complex. Okay. So never has there been an age where B2B marketing is, is been so sophisticated. It's really sophisticated marketing. You have that you have people in your team and your CMOs generally are very good at using the right side of their brain and the left side of their brain, because you have the creative elements, but it's deeply analytical and operationally complex systems. Uh, so, you know, tech savviness is, is I think, a hallmark and a fundamental um, requirement for CMOs and, and heads of product marketing and heads of operations, of course. Secondly, the technology costs are, I prefer to refer them as investments, right? Technology investments need to be quite high. Um, this is something that CMOs have a duty of care around. Um, obviously, making sure that they're not just spending willy-nilly on, on new technologies and uh, you know data tools and, and data itself, but um, they have a duty of care to make sure that CFOs are very educated and CEOs are very educated about why we have to invest in this technology if we want to not only want to win but to survive. Right? If, you, if you're going to try and be a hypergrowth B2B SaaS company, if you're not investing in technology, I, I'm not sure I would invest in the company, frankly. Um, sure. And then, you know, data is hard. 
uh, it's much, much harder. This is a misconception. I, I'm, I'm often pulling my hair out. I'm sure you talk to other CMOs. I'm like, why is it so hard to get all this data and these projects take forever? I think it just lends itself to the <laughs> to the first two points I made. It's actually really hard. So be patient um, about you know standing up these systems um, and getting to the point where you've got very mature analytics coming from it. The final misconception I think is is um, this misconception that you are really special and everyone's going to to <laughs> gravitate to your message and everyone's going to be just like, you just have to send out this stuff and everyone's going to get it immediately and want to talk to you and then you're going to show them your amazing product and they're going to buy it. Now, this, this, this is particularly for founders. You know, I've been a founder. I'm like, my technology is awesome. Why, isn't, you know, why aren't people resonating with this stuff, right? It's just we live in this information overload world, right? Constantly connected, this barrage, terabytes of data coming at each of us as individuals. Yeah, so we're we're and I think probably the sociologists will show at some point that we've got this whole generation of of evolution happening here where where our human brains are getting really good at filtering out a lot of stuff. So reflecting on that, I think um, consistency and repetition is vitally important in your marketing. So you just don't expect that people are going to even read your stuff or get it the first time or think that you're that special. You have to be repetitive, you have to be consistent, and you have to invest in it uh, to reach these people. Like a good politician, they go out, they hit the campaign trail, they say the same thing for eight weeks in a row. Right? Yeah. The same, I, think, I think it's the same thing for, for marketers. Um, be patient, but if you try something and you, you're not getting the oh, we only got a 2.5% click-through rate on that, that's okay. I mean, just you got to keep going. Keep going, yeah. give it enough time, and then, you know, eventually if your product's really good and you've got a really good product market fit, you know, you'll find a way through and you'll, and you'll grow. And then get your momentum, seize it, double down on it, because once you get momentum, you ain't, the, the, the competition will fall by the wayside, right? Sure. Markets, sure. markets want to anoint a winner. So if you think you've got getting those signals that you're going to win, be prepared to double down on it. Got it. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about a ton of stuff in terms of, um, you know, the, the strategies and thought processes, what's changed the most, um, some of the pitfalls you see, you just mentioned, um, some of, we've talked about the channels. Um, maybe, maybe just to kind of wrap up, in the last couple of minutes, any any like final thoughts or final tips and tri- tricks, you know, things we might have missed or, or final things you want to mention to folks that are listening today? Yeah, sure. Um, two two thoughts. One's a little more strategic. So I think that um, what's really interesting in in, in our in enterprise software right now is um, the business models of next generation companies, right? So I'm really excited about, um, you know, obviously cloud. I think, you know, cloud's been, been on the rise for quite a while, but there's a long way to go. Um, and uh, so that, that's this, I'm still excited by the opportunity um, for a lot of cloud companies. Um, secondly, I think experience first companies are really, I, I think this is a new kind of mindset where, uh, it's not about product features. It's about let's create a holistic experience from soup to nuts, right? It's sort of borrowing from the Apple model where 
that made their, their actual physical products really amazing with experience, but then they've ballooned that out to the entire experience that someone will have with their brand. The product is just one of those aspects of brand engagement with Apple, right? So experience-first companies, you're seeing this with a lot of really cool SaaS companies, right? Um, open source is really, I think, there are, there are not going to be any surviving uh, next generation, particularly uh, big data type companies um, that don't have an open source element. I'm a firm believer of that. I've talked a lot about that, that with, with my executive team here, our, my, our CEO, Todd, um, our, our investors. So open source is something I really ask people to consider. Um, maybe we could do another podcast in the future about, about that because it's a really interesting um, business model. Pay-as-you-go pricing. You know, if I was starting a business today, a fresh SaaS company, I wouldn't be looking for big lock-in contracts. I'd focus on experience and excellence of product, product market fit, and then I would say, let's just re-earn this customer's loyalty every month. Because it just it eliminates the inertia of growing your business. And if you get into bigger, longer-term contracts early on, it's hard to get off it, right? So believe in yourself, invest in your product, and then consider PRWG pricing. Um, if you're a product marketer, I'd, I'd be considering that for sure. Um, final thing I would say, Mike, is, um, you know, for founders out there, I know a lot of founders listen to your podcast, as you're thinking about building a product marketing team, um, think carefully about the, the audiences that you need to reach. Like, are they technical buyers, right? Um, are they business buyers? Is it a bit of both? Right, so you know, a lot of folks that are very technical product marketers are not so good at creating a lot of the solutions, content, and use case content. Um, if you're a pure SaaS business, where a lot of the technology is kind of hidden and it's under the hood, and then you probably need more business-oriented product marketers, um, like we had at Anaplan. We had a, quite a big product marketing team uh, working with me. They were all very business-oriented. Um, if you're Elastic or Databricks, right, you're selling primarily to the tech, uh, almost universally to tech audiences. So you need to get technical product marketers and the business challenges, you know, are less, less of a need to articulate. Um, so, yeah, think that through. Um, you know, always happy. I know you share out contact these. I'm always happy to answer questions from any of your listeners on, uh, via LinkedIn or something. So, uh, yeah, that's a few thoughts. And, uh, yeah, hopefully that's helpful. Awesome. Well, Grant, uh, thank you so much for coming on to the show. We really, really appreciate it, and I hope you have a great rest of your week. Awesome, Mike. Always enjoy it. Great talking to you, and um, thanks very much.